0: How many of you have done an online zoom meeting now many of our sunday school classes small groups are meeting on zoom our elders meetings and staff meetings are all taking place on zoom and i'm so thankful for that technology that allows us to meet even when we're far apart but i'll tell you zoom meetings are hard for me in my house right now i've got these three small kids and nowhere in my house to get away from those kids and the other day i'm in the middle of a really serious presentation to our elders and staff on zoom about 30 people I get two sentences in and one of my kids is screaming bloody murder in the background. And I've got to stop and tell those elders, just hold that thought for a second. Talk amongst yourselves can go stop this kid from crying. Why was he crying? It doesn't matter. Why is a kid ever crying? No one knows. They just cry all the time, right? So what happens when you get interrupted like that? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. As one story that gets interrupted. So Luke was a follower of Jesus who lived about 2,000 years ago and wrote down the story of Jesus as he saw it in the Gospel of Luke and then wrote down the book of Acts or what's called the Acts of the Apostles. And so those two stories are actually two parts of one big story, two volumes in one big story that Luke writes down. And in the middle what we might say is that he gets interrupted. Okay, And so Luke ends the first part of his story, the Gospel of Luke, with this. When he had led them, he's talking about Jesus. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. But then Luke gets interrupted. So what happens when you get interrupted? Well, you don't just go back and start right where you left off if you wanna finish the story, right? And you also typically don't go back and tell the whole story over again because nobody wants to hear the whole thing again. What you do is you typically go back and you grab that part of the story, the first part of the story, that is critical to understanding the rest of the story and you retell just that part before continuing. And that's exactly what happens here in Luke. He goes back and he retells the story of what we call the ascension or the exaltation of Jesus. When Jesus at the end of Luke is raised to heaven and seated at the right hand of God, we see that same story at the beginning of Acts told again. And the the point's pretty clear. Apparently the ascension of Jesus is critical not only to understanding what happens in the life of the early church, but also to understanding what's happening in our lives. In fact, the ascension is told again and again throughout Scripture, outside of Luke and Acts, like we find in 1 Peter, when Peter says this, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. So what does this mean? the ascension of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus. What does this actually mean for me right now? I came across this poem, a news article about a poetic Kenyan poet, Sir Lucky Samuel Mangira. He's a Kenyan poet. And he was featured in this article because he's been writing poetry and posting it online. And the poetry is addressed to the coronavirus. And he's got lines like these. Welcome to Kenya. A few things you should know. Remember, he's talking to coronavirus. Welcome to Kenya. A few things you should know. Here, we don't die of flu. Don't be surprised if you fail to succeed. Ushishangwe, everything fails in Kenya. We're not very excited to host you around. No offense, but locusts arrived here way earlier than you and first come, first served. Do you even know the road accident statistics in Kenya? If you knew how we die daily of motorcycle and bus accidents, you wouldn't even bother to stop here. We're more likely to die of a cholera attack than to be killed by you, bro. For us, every day is a run, escape from death. We are the walking dead. Death is a part of our lives, the shadow that lingers over us from the time the umbilical cord is cut. You know, there's two sides to these poems. On one side, you have this proud defiance of coronavirus as it invades Kenya. But then on the other side, you have this vulnerability and this recognition that in Kenya, there is so much that can kill you. And now there's just one more thing that these people have to fight against. And it's not just Sir Lucky Samuel Manjira that thinks about coronavirus as something alive, something that you might dialogue with or something that's sinister and out to get you. If you look at the artwork of pandemics that have preceded coronavirus, you know, the artwork stretching back centuries, one of the things, the fascinating things you see is the way that a virus or a sickness is depicted in that art. Like this picture here, this was a news cartoon drawn in 1883, and it's a picture of death, a skeleton like the grim reaper arriving in America in the new world on a, on a battleship and written on the belt around his waist, the skeleton's waist, it says cholera, which was of course a sickness that has had multiple epidemics in our world and right around that time killed over 50,000 in America. Or you have this image, this is from a magazine in 1882, and there's these three ghost-like figures hovering over San Francisco, and one of them says malaria, and the other has written on it leprosy, and one has written on it smallpox. You know, what do Christians do with cartoons like that? Or what do they do with the poetry from Sir Lucky Samuel Mangier? I think there's a part of us that wants to say, well, you know, those are kind of cute drawings, or that's... That's kind of cute poetry and dismiss that, though. It's just art that doesn't really mean anything. Well, I think Scripture would not dismiss that artwork as easily. And I'm not saying that I think coronavirus is something alive, but what coronavirus is is a reminder that there are forces out there that are arrayed against us, that are out to get us. And what the scripture calls those forces is the principalities and powers. And chief among those forces is the power of death. And in this life, when we are confronted with our mortality, whether it's from a virus or from cancer or from a traffic accident or from a Roman cross, we ask ourselves, is there any hope? Is there any hope when we're up against forces like that? And the first Christian impulse, which is the right one, is to go to the empty tomb. And that's what we did on Easter two weeks ago. The first impulse when we're confronted with death is to go to the empty tomb where Jesus was laid after he died and was risen to new life and did not stay in that tomb. You know, there is this symbol there, this meaning behind that, that death is overcome in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Paul Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. What that means, if you were to picture an apple tree, is that Jesus is the first apple to turn red and ripe. And he is picked in this new life. And ultimately, all the other apples on the tree, you and me, will also become ripe and be harvested as well. That death will be overcome in us all, ultimately, because it was overcome in Jesus But, you know, if you think about that, really honestly, what you realize is that that locates hope only at the end of our life and really after the end of our life. You know, if if Jesus defeats death only in the resurrection, then what that does is it moves our hope to that point after we have died when Jesus will raise us up from the dead. But the reason the authors of Scripture keep coming back to the ascension, the exaltation of Jesus again and again is because they want us to realize our hope is not reserved for some time after we die when we're taken up into heaven. But that same power on display on on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus at the empty tomb is then invested in Jesus Christ and that power is elevated to the throne room of God and is active and in control and sovereign over all other powers right now. Okay. That's what we read about in Ephesians. Paul says this, right? He's talking about our present hope right now in the enthroned Lord Jesus above. He says this, that power is the same as the mighty strength that He, God, exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. So here... Here's what Christians actually hope. You know, it's not just that we hope for life after we die, a place where we get to live with God eternally. Okay, that's not all that we hope for. Of course we hope for that, but we hope for more. We hope that life is breaking into this world right now. That death is not actually in control right now, but the power of life through Jesus Christ is enthroned above death right now and is invading our world, not simply hanging out until that distant time when you and I die, and then it can start working. That's actually our hope. And that's the point that Paul is making here in Ephesians. It's the point that Peter's making in 1 Peter. It's the point that the author of Hebrews is making, the author of Revelation is making, that Luke and Luke and Acts is making. What they are all saying is that, yes, God disarms death at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. But by that same power, he then keeps raising Jesus until he is enthroned above all other powers, above all other principalities and powers in this world, including the power of death that this demonstration, this power of life over death is filling Jesus as he is raised to the throne room of God and that now God rules over all the world with that power of life over death. That's actually our hope, that he rules with life right now, not just after we die. But where do I see that, right? Where do I see that? Uh, you know, you, you see it in the way that you pray. Think about it. I mean, you wouldn't pray to God if you didn't believe that he and his son, Jesus Christ, were enthroned over every power arrayed against you right now. If you thought that their power was restricted to sometime after you die, then you would get baptized You would want to ensure that your soul receives that mark of inheritance that guarantees your salvation someday. You would be baptized in this life, but you would not be able to justify bothering God with your prayer request in this life if it was strictly about what happens after you die, if that's what our faith was about. So even in your own prayer life, you acknowledge how important it is to you that Jesus is enthroned above all right now. You know, but the scripture is saying that because Jesus is ascended, he is enthroned above all other powers right now. And it's only because he is the present king over all those powers that the artist in the 1800s and that Kenyan poet writing to coronavirus, it's only because he's the present king right now in a moment like this that we believe he will overcome all those powers ultimately. So I said, you know, where do you see this? Well, of course you see it in your own prayer life, but you also see it when we see life breaking into our world of death right now. Lindsay loves birds. She's always throwing bird seed out in our backyard. She loves birds. And the other day she shouts from the backyard with glee and she calls the boys to run to her right away. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And so we all run over to Lindsay and she points up into the hollow, just beneath the eave of our house. And there in the bend of the gutter, a bird has, has built a nest. And these two little heads are peeking up above that nest as Mama Bird flies off. And as soon as Mama Bird flies off, Lindsay knows what she's gonna do. She goes and she gets our selfie stick. Now, don't ask me why we have a selfie stick. I'm embarrassed to admit we own a selfie stick, but she grabs her selfie stick and she raises that selfie stick up and we caught this video of those brand new baby birds and one egg still unhatched. And then for the next few days, we went back you know, several times a day with that selfie stick and we recorded as those babies grew and they grew so fast. Just like overnight, they were getting bigger and bigger. The third egg hatched and now there's these three birds just growing and mama brings them worms every day all day long and our kids have loved watching these birds grow and what's been so special about watching this is the timing of it all yeah, because we're in the middle of a a pandemic when people are not only dying but that power of death is is robbing people of their jobs, their income, their well-being, people are losing their homes like it's this time when it feels like death is calling all the shots, and yet here's this undeniable sign of life right here in our backyard. It's that same feeling you have when you go to a, to a hospital with your wife or you go to deliver your first child if you're a woman, and you're standing there and you hold that brand new baby, and it does not matter what is going on in the world. In that moment, you're just brought to your, your knees by the power of life this new life you're holding. A couple weeks before the pandemic started, a young couple here at Highland had their first baby. And another one of our young men at Highland went to visit them in the hospital and meet this baby girl. And he's not married. He, he doesn't have kids of his own. And he held this baby and he said he just started weeping uncontrollably and he couldn't explain it. And he was kind of embarrassed by it. And he told me later, it was, it was just the most beautiful thing I had ever held in my hands, this new life. And you see new life not only in the birth of a new baby, but you see life breaking into this world of death in all kinds of ways. I was reminded of that just a couple of weeks ago when Adam and Katie Poole adopted their second daughter, Lorelai. And it was the most beautiful thing that we have been anticipating for a long time and the, the original adoption date was postponed because of the coronavirus and we were gonna throw them the biggest party we can throw them and ultimately the coronavirus is still raging on and none of us could go to the courthouse and we were all super frustrated by that. But that power of death did not stop this young girl from becoming part of her forever family. And she's been adopted by the pools now. And I'll tell you what, as soon as this virus is over, we are going to celebrate that little baby girl when we can come back together. And why? Because in her, we see that life in Jesus Christ is winning. That death may still have something to say in our world, but death won't have the last word. Because the power of life in Jesus Christ is enthroned above everything right now. Peter says it like this. You may remember this in his sermon at Pentecost. He preaches this and he says this about Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And remember what he says next. He calls them in the very next sentences to commit their lives to Jesus and baptism. And what we see there is baptism is not just about securing your eternal salvation after you die, but baptism is a pledge of allegiance to the Lord of all, the one who sits at the right hand of God, who has been exalted to that right hand of God. When I am baptized, I'm submitting my authority to Him. I'm pledging my allegiance to Him. That's what baptism is. You may remember in the Garden of Eden that the serpent tempts Eve and Adam to eat from the tree they're not supposed to eat from, according to the direction and order of God. And the punishment for Adam and Eve are severe, but there's also a punishment for the serpent. And the punishment for the serpent is that a human one is going to crush his head. And that's what we see here in Peter. that Beneath the feet of Jesus, all his enemies are placed as a footstool for his feet pressing down on their throat. And that's what actually gives us hope is that when Jesus comes to earth, he becomes human for us. And when he returns to the throne room of God, he carries that humanity back with him. And now enthroned as the human one, he is crushing all of our enemies under his feet. And he will do that for all of time, right? Do you believe that? It's a difficult moment to believe that. I'll grant that to you. You know, this pandemic rages on. And for many of us, it feels like a skeleton of death that is just riding into town with coronavirus wrapped around its waist. And scripture doesn't ignore that feeling. It does not ignore the reality of our lives when it feels like at times that death is in control or that it certainly has something to say if it's not going to have the last word. That scripture does not deny that, right? But what we're told in scripture is that the principalities and powers have been disarmed by Jesus Christ. And what that means when it comes to death is that death has been robbed of its ultimate weapon, which is its, its permanence, its finality. But there is this time coming when death will not only be robbed of its permanence, but it will be robbed of its existence. It will be wiped off the map once and for all. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 14. For he, Jesus, must reign at the right hand of God until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yeah, death is still out there right now it does still have something to say. It's like it is pressed beneath the feet of Jesus and yet it still lashes about like a snake or a serpent trying to strike out at us. But we know that ultimately Jesus will press the life out of even death. John Dunn wrote a poem about this. You probably remember this poem. I'll read just a bit of it. He said this, "'Death, be not proud.'" though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. Death, thou shalt die. I was reminded of that line when I read Sir Lucky Samuel Mangira's poetry to coronavirus. At the end of that poem that he posted online, there's a really funny line about hoping the coronavirus takes some of the Kenyan politicians who are corrupt with it. And I don't even know anything about Kenyan politics, but I got a kick out of that. But just before that line, he says this He says, Death can befall us anytime, and we are not scared. If it comes, let it come. Why worry over what we can't control? Everything dies, right? Even you, Corona, will die. May it be so. May it be so. And until then, our hope is in the one who is above all, now and forever.